Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. So glad to have you with me this evening. I have been informed that Lucy McBath has declined to run for the United States Senate. The Congresswoman in the 6th Congressional District uh, has declined to run for the United States Senate. Uh, that reminds me, uh, I, I we got to go through some of these names who are applying. Uh, I find it somewhat hysterical. So uh, let, let me tell you, I've, I've talked on background to some of the people who are involved in the, and I, I, I need to be really careful how I say this because I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to express to you or convey to you in any way, shape or form that I am suggesting the sentiments I'm conveying come from the governor because they don't, um, they do come from those who recommended this process. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, the governor has decided to do a very open and transparent process for the Senate. Normally, these things are done behind closed doors in, in the proverbial smoke-filled room where they find someone. The governor of the state of Georgia has the sole power. God himself does not have the power that Brian Kemp has to put someone in the United States Senate. Oh, come on. Just just calm down. I can feel the disturbance in the force. I can't believe you just said that God himself. You know what I mean. It is the governor's power. God can certainly direct the hand of the governor. But among mere mortals, no one has the power to fill Johnny Isaacson's seat except for one Brian Kemp, governor of the state of Georgia. And Brian Kemp, could have done this behind closed doors, found someone, poll-tested, focus-grouped, decided who would be best, and off they go to the U.S. Senate. But he's got time. Johnny says he's not leaving until the end of the year. What the governor decided to do instead was to take the burden off himself and put it on those who want it. And it has led to comedy gold. Josh McCoon, who I just, I, I adore Josh McCoon, and he has just the greatest quote in the AJC. This application process is the wildest contest since the search for the golden tickets in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yes, it is the number of people. Thus far, we, we have an ongoing tally. Um, we've got, let's see, Ben Burnett from the Alpharetta City Council. Tim Eccles uh, from the Public Service Commission, and Martha Zoller from WDUN Radio in, in uh, Gainesville. And the AJC is putting all of them online, uh, all the people who want to run. Now, some of them have opted out, you should know. Uh, BJ Pack, a lot of people thought Brian, may, uh, Brian Kemp may do that. And BJ Pack has said, nope, I want nothing to do with it. Uh, count him out. He's got a great job, has no intention of doing it. Uh, then there is Chris Carr and Jeff Duncan. Are they going to do it? They haven't applied. Well, here's what I'm told. And this, this gets back to my, my earlier point where I don't want to put words in the mouth of the governor, but I will tell you. I have talked to people familiar with the process, and they said two groups of people would be applying early on in this process, and they could just take their resumes, scan them, put them online for everyone to see, and throw them in the trash can. They would not be considered. 
those two groups, and I'm going to modify it to three groups. I'll tell you that the, as it, I, it was conveyed to me, the two groups. Uh, group one are the crazies. The crazy people will want to apply. And the crazy people will have their their day in the sun. They'll have their 33 seconds of fame and their resumes will be discarded. Maybe a mental note that this person was crazy. Those are probably the people who would apply within the first 24 hours. Within the first 48 to 72 hours, in addition to the crazy people, you'll have the overly ambitious people. The overly ambitious people are those who are thirsty for an elected position. They really look in the mirror every day and say, Senator, how are you today? And they answer themselves back, I'm quite well looking forward to being president. <laughs> you know those people exist. The overly ambitious people. The the people, I mean, it's like the, the Teresa Tomlinsons of the world. They, they will gut you in a heartbeat if they can advance them up the flagpole of power. Greased or not, um, it, 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 you, you just, you know, they're going to apply. You absolutely know they're going, they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. They, they've got to apply and they've got to apply because they know they're the best. They're like key man. They have the power. And then there's the third group of people who are going to apply the third group. This is my group. I'm extrapolating from the conversation I had when, when I was the, the overly ambitious were described. There's actually a third group. I, maybe you could call it a subcategory of the second group, but I say there is a third group. All right. Three categories. Category number one, the crazy people. Category number two, the overly ambitious people. I'm coming up with category three, which I'm pulling out of category two. Category three are the people who run every single time there is a race. If there is a race to be had in Georgia, these people are on the ballot. It is an addiction for these people. They have got to throw their hat in the ring. I, and I don't know what it is. You know, I got elected to office, which is more than some of these people will, will ever do in their lives, even though they run for everything. And I don't mean that I, I, I'm, I'm nothing special. Nobody ran against me. I wanted somebody to run against me because I didn't want to run for the job, but I did. And nobody ran against me and I got elected and I hated it. Uh, there's this thing you have to deal with on a regular basis. If you're an elected official, it's called people and I hate them. And, and many of them are dumb and they're annoying. And, and particularly the ones who are of the subset called a constituent. Good Lord, you don't want to deal with those sorts of people. I don't understand people who want to get elected to office. It was the worst job I ever had, and it was a part-time job. Nonetheless, some people do. They are desperate for it. And so the governor, by opening this process, is allowing people who are desperate, thirsty, and hungry for jobs and power to apply. And I can assure you, all of those resumes, they're going in the trash can. Now, what the governor has not done and this is, this is the key. This is the genius of the plan. There's no deadline. Yep, there's no deadline. The governor could tomorrow say, yep, you know what? It's done, closed. We'll sort through the resumes we've got. They could keep it open for a month. They could keep it open for a week. He, he, they hadn't put a timeline on it, folks. A lot of people haven't paid attention to that. So just how thirsty for the job are you? How quickly are you going to, are you going to take your time? Are you going to feel that? See, and this is what I'm told they're kind of hoping will happen. Behind the scenes, 
people will dot their I's and cross their T's and reach out to their networks and feel people out and see if they should do it and then apply. In the meantime, they'll have their network call their network and pledge money and support. They'll have people reach out on the periphery of the governor's office and the periphery will know the, the right time to reach out to the governor's circle to test the waters, and then those people will know when the governor might want to care about this sort of thing. Because I can assure you that if I work for the governor's office right now, I would have a brand new phone number because there are a lot of people who are convinced that they should have this job. And I listen, this morning on my other show, I spent a lot of time uh, going through these resumes, and I, I'm I'm just baffled. I don't. I mean, I, I there are names in here I've never even heard of. I'm like, who on earth are you? But there are people who are convinced for the greater good of all Georgia that they are the most qualified, best person for the job, and they are doing their best to make their case. One person, I kid you not, one person has a 14-page resume. 14-page resume. And one of the things that this person highlights is that she did a Twitter discussion. No, I'm not making that up. She she did a Twitter discussion. Now, all of these people, this is all readily available. In, in fact, what I'm going to do right now is just so you can laugh yourselves. Uh, I'm going to tweet out the the link. If you go to uh, twitter.com slash EW Erickson, I'm going to, let's see, here are the people who have applied for the Senate thus far in Georgia. You can uh, Here are the people who have applied for the Senate thus far in Georgia. You can follow the link. It is to the AJC, to Greg Bluestein's piece, with all of the names of the people who are applying. I know some of the people who are applying, and they are really good people. I also know from the people who are close to the governor's office that the people who have applied thus far, yeah, they may find a few gems in there. But by and large, they know they have time to wait and see who applies. And it is, to some degree, a mental chess game. If you are the Attorney General of Georgia, and I don't mean to pick on Chris Carr. I, I like Chris Carr tremendously. But it, but if you're Chris Carr, the Attorney General of Georgia, yours was one of the very first names floated. I was one of the first people who floated his name. He worked for Johnny Isaacson. His wife is Isaacson's chief of staff. He's a brilliant guy. He would make a fine senator. But him leaving would force open the door to a, uh, a jungle primary for the Attorney General. The governor would get to appoint the Attorney General, but only until November when that person would have to stand for office. So it would force the governor to find someone else in addition to finding someone for the Senate. But if you're Chris Carr... Do you put your name out there? Do you say, hey, yeah, I actually want the Senate seat? And if you do, does the media then say, well, why aren't you content to be attorney general? Or if you're Jeff Duncan, you just got elected lieutenant governor. Why don't you want to stay lieutenant governor? Or to Karen Handel. Uh, if Karen Handel were to apply, so the media speculate. I don't think Karen Handel is going to apply, but if she did apply, why why, why apply? Why, why not just run for the, why not run for the sixth? It, see, it opens all these people to questions. And so they got to go out, they got to circle their network. They got to make sure is this something I really, really, really want to do? Because it's going to get out there now the way the governor's done it. The governor essentially is limiting the list of people who will apply and limiting it to the people who really do think, you know what? Gosh darn it, I would be a good senator. 
So we'll follow along with the list to see, but 14-page resume, seriously, and you, one of the things on your resume is you did a Twitter conversation, seriously? Yeah, put that one in file 13. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, Dills Food City. They've got uh, locations in Royston and Livonia. They have taken all of their Irish Spring soap off the shelves. Nope, nope. They, they don't want you to be dirty. Uh, they, they've got alternatives for you. They have, for example, uh, Dove soap and, and uh, generic body wash and, and you name it. They just, they're taking the Irish Spring off the shelves this week for the Notre Dame-Georgia game. Yeah, people are, they're taking this one seriously, aren't they? Big game. They're taking it seriously. Uh, Georgia versus Notre Dame. You can hear it here on WSB this weekend. It's going to be the big game. Now, I didn't have time yesterday. We we had some technical issues to really get into the Corey Lewandowski stuff. I assume that you guys have gotten your fill of the Corey Lewandowski audio, and and I don't need to play the Corey Lewandowski stuff. I I, I assume as much. It was really funny. Um, It was very funny to see Corey Lewandowski give the business to members of Congress. Uh, We have been waiting for a while for someone to do something like that. I think the funniest one was Sheila Jackson Lee, where she went on a four-minute tirade. I may have to play this when we come back. Went on a four-minute tirade, and at the end of the four minutes, Lewandowski says, "Um, that was a rant. That wasn't a question. What's your question? (laughs) She got livid with him. There was a question. I'll tell my question again. And they're like, no, your time's expired. I may have to play that when we come back. It was classic. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Okay, 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 okay. I I, I got to play this. This is just too good not, not, to, not to play. This is Corey Lewandowski and Sheila Jackson Lee. If you will recall, Sheila Jackson Lee is the genius member of the United States Congress, who represents the area of Houston, Texas, where the uh, NASA Space Center is. And when the Mars rover landed on Mars, I kid you not, she asked if they could steer it over to see Neil Armstrong's footprint and flag on Mars. I'm not making that up. Well, we will expose the truth. The president can hide. He called you in to do his dirty work in secret because he knew it was wrong. Well, we will expose the truth. The president can hide behind you any longer. And you should be here to be telling the truth, because the truth will set you free and the American people. I yield back. The time of the gentlelady has expired. The witness may answer the question. I don't believe there was a question, Congressman. Very well. Yes, there was. Could you repeat the question? I didn't hear it. I'd be happy to repeat the it's question. Just a rant. Yeah, repeat the I'll be happy to repeat the question. Gentlelady's time has expired. <laughs> just a rant. Just a rant. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's one more I got to play. This one, this one was, was really funny. Ms. Lewandowski, is it correct that as reported in the Mueller report on June 19th, 2017, you met alone in the Oval Office with the president? I said, is, is, it- is there a book and page number you can reference me to, please? I don't have a copy of the report in front of me. Volume 2, page 90. But I I simply ask you, is it correct that as reported in the Mueller report on June 19th, 2017, you met alone in the Oval Office with the President? Could you read the exact language of the report, sir? I don't have it available to me. 
I don't think I need to do that, and I have limited time. Did you meet alone with the president that date? Congressman, I'd like you to refresh my memory by providing a copy of the report so I can follow along. Pate, you don't have a copy with you? I don't have a copy of the report, Congressman. Mr. Chairman, I request uh, that the clock be stopped while this uh, charade is sorted out. Oh my goodness! It just it, this was this is it, so. Amanda Carpenter is a friend of mine. Uh, I I I just think the world of Amanda. Uh, she does not like President Trump. She's not a Trump supporter. She worked for Ted Cruz uh, when he was in. She was at the Heritage Foundation. She had been a reporter for Town Hall. Uh, moved to the Heritage Foundation. Followed Jim Demint to the Senate. Uh, when Demint left, uh, she stayed with Ted Cruz. She helped Cruz on his campaign. She's now a contributor at CNN. Uh, she is unquestionably conservative. Uh, she does not like the president. She's unquestionably conservative. She really, really does not like Corey Lewandowski. And well, yeah, somehow it just got lost in the mail. Listen, it is clear from the Mueller report he was a willing agent of obstruction, attempted obstruction, because they didn't actually obstruct justice. But we're all thinking, what was the point of this hearing today? Republicans, a lot of Trump people talk about owning the libs. Corey Lewandowski owned the Judiciary Committee today. Jerry Nadler played a stupid game, and they won a stupid prize, because Corey Lewandowski just made a sham of that. Republicans on the committee, with their you know mockery of the process. This system is broken. If the Democrats wanted to go impeach the president, they should have started that process a long time ago. I don't know what they were looking to get from Corey Lewandowski that they couldn't already get from the Mueller report. They need to drop this. You can't do an impeachment in election year. It's going to look terrible. So they need to figure out a game plan because it's clear they have no idea how to handle this administration. Amen and amen. They really don't. They, they really did get played. I, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it really is just worth laughing at. Um, I want to spend just a couple of minutes on the whistleblower situation that has blown up. Uh, what is going on? Uh, what is alleged? I want to walk you through this. There is an allegation. There is a whistleblower. The whistleblower um, alleges the president made promises to the leader of a foreign government and potentially compromised American foreign intelligence. This very well could be there are allegations the president told the Ukrainian government if they wanted attention and, and favorability from the United States, they needed to reopen the investigation into Joe Biden's son uh, over his handling of uh, various business deals in Ukraine. That is an allegation that is out there. I, I don't know if that is related. This is troubling, uh, if so. But, 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 but. I'm a little bit hesitant to go down this road until we know more information. The reason I am hesitant to go down the road until we know more information is because in the past we have seen situations where good government whistleblower types who hate the president, who tend to be of the left, raise complaints about the president's conduct and try to generate negative media stories against him just because they don't like the guy. So until I know more facts on what's actually alleged and what's at stake, uh, you'll have to forgive me for wanting to wait 
and find out what this is about, if at all. Now, the director of national intelligence testified in a classified behind closed doors meeting in Congress today, and he wouldn't say anything. And the reason he wouldn't say anything is he said it was within the powers of the president to do whatever the president did in whatever conversation he had. Which suggests, I mean, quite frankly, if the director of national intelligence thinks this is within the power of the president to be able to do, and it was within the president's right as the director of foreign policy of the United States as commander-in-chief of the American military, and that uh, this is outside the boundaries of Congress, I, I really don't have a problem with it. I may disagree with it, but I disagreed with Barack Obama and no one in the media here. Re remember the transmit to Vladimir stuff? And, you know, liberals were right. They're like, oh, they're going to rush out with this transmit to Vladimir. I'll have more flexibility after the election stuff. And that's just false equivalence. Why is it false equivalence? Why is it false equivalence? Uh, President Obama was called on an open mic uh, with Medvedev uh, of Russia at the time, saying that after the election, he would have more flexibility to deal with Russia, that before the election, he had to come across as if he was going to be hard on Russia. Meanwhile, we know during that time, while he wanted more flexibility to deal with the Russians and treat the Russians favorably, the Russians were undermining American elections. Why is it false equivalence? It's only false equivalence because the Democrats don't like the fact that you bring up Barack Obama did similar things. I would like to know the facts before I get outraged, if I'm outraged at all. It is stunning to me how there are so many people out there right now who just want to be mad. They just want to be outraged about it all. They just they want to hate the president. They they don't like the president, and they just they got to be outraged. They got to find something to be outraged about. Oh, I don't have enough time in my day to be outraged about everything. The left makes these wild accusations about stuff, and, and they're not outraged. I'll tell you one thing that we should be outraged about. Here's Pete Buttigieg. Like everyone, uh, I find that news out of Illinois extremely disturbing, and uh, I think it's important that that be fully investigated. I also hope that it doesn't get caught up in politics at a time when women need access to health care. There's no question that what happened is disturbing, it's unacceptable, and it needs to be looked well, he doesn't want to call up in politics. Notice he says Illinois. Uh, Pete Buttigieg invested a lot of time in helping an abortion doctor in South Bend, Indiana. In fact, Pete Buttigieg went out of his way to try to shut down Christian pre crisis pregnancy centers in South Bend because they did not perform abortions. One of the people who was gladly, willingly able and helpful to do abortions in South Bend, Indiana, was a guy named Ulrich Klopfer. Turns out he's kept 2,000 bodies of babies that he killed. The left is upset because he kept the bodies, not because he killed 2,000 children. They don't like the fact that in keeping the bodies of the children, it reminds people that these actually are bodies of actual children. They're upset he kept the bodies, not that he did what he did. And Pete Buttigieg says this shouldn't be a political issue. Pete Buttigieg made it a political issue when he went to bat for this guy and invested his time and talent and power as mayor to shut down clinics that wouldn't perform abortion. And now he doesn't think it should be a political issue. 
And you know why I'm actually really outraged about this? Because the media barely wants to report it. A couple of reporters were able to get him on the record, but CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, no, 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 no. They've completely chosen to ignore this story. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Um, is it Deezy in Buckhead? Hey, I'm here. Hi there. I love I love listening to you. Thank you. And I hope your wife and everybody's doing well. We we are all on the mend at our house, thankfully. Thank you. Okay. I heard a rumor the other day from a good friend. Obviously, I'm a conservative. I listen to you. That in the last minute... The Democrats were going to insert Michelle Obama and Stacey Abrams as president and vice president nominees. Nah, and I know happen. there's laws and rules that you have to sign up, and so I'm just I'm just trying to. Yep. So this it it can't happen. Um, The the reason that it can't happen is because to get the nomination of either party, you have to go through a uh, primary and caucus process, and neither of them are doing it. So the rules of the Democratic and Republican parties uh, prevent people from being swapped out at the last minute. Uh, The only way it's possible is if the nominee dies, um, but uh, none of the nominees are going to die. And if it is one of the nominees who dies, it has to be someone who went through the primary process. So, for example, um, God forbid Joe Biden is the nominee and something happens to him, well, then they've got to look at the people who ran. Uh, and they would go with Elizabeth Warren, I'm sure. So um, that th- th- there's your setup. Uh, it's it's not going to be that. You know, I've heard these sorts of rumors forever as well, and I put them in the same vein as the rumors of um, of you know the president's not going to leave the White House. Barack Obama wasn't going to leave for Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not going to leave for whoever. It's just I, no, 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 no. Don't don't worry about that stuff. The process will work whether you like the winner or not. When we come back, the environmentalist outrage and the testimony before Congress. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. I would like to delve into some stuff that happened in Washington, D.C. I, I think this is something we need to discuss Um And I want to play you some audio of Jamie Margolin. Jamie Margolin is 17. She is a climate activist. She is one of the people suing the federal government. There's a children's lawsuit that the media loves to talk about. The children's lawsuit is a group of kids suing the U.S. government over carbon emissions, demanding federal judges order the federal government to do something about it. And I want to play you some audio from her. She testified before Congress uh, with uh, Greta Thunberg, the Swedish activist. My name is Jamie Margolin, and I'm a 17-year-old climate justice activist from Seattle, Washington. Climate justice. I'm missing a lot of school to be here. It's my senior year of high school. I have college application deadlines looming over me, and to be honest, I've barely even started because I'm too busy fighting to make sure that I'm actually going to have the future I'm applying to study for. You're here spending a few moments with me, but that is nothing compared to the hours that members of Congress have spent with lobbyists from corporations that make billions of dollars off of the destruction of my generation's future. I want the entirety of Congress, in fact, the whole U.S. government, to remember the fear and despair that my generation lives with every day, and I want you to hold on to it. How do I even begin to convey to you what it feels like to know that within my lifetime, the destruction that we have already seen from the climate crisis will only get worse? 
What adds insult to injury is the fact that we keep getting promised what isn't there. On college applications, I keep getting asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? The media, pop culture, businesses, and the whole world tells me that I and my whole generation will have something to look forward to that we just don't. You're promising me lies. Everyone who will walk up to me after this testimony saying that I have such a bright future ahead of me will be lying to my face. It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter how much work we put in, how many dreams we have. The reality is my generation has been committed to a planet that is collapsing. I want you to ponder her words there for a minute, please. Just just consider this. I want Congress and, in fact, the whole U.S. government to remember the fear and despair that my generation lives with every day, and I want you to hold on to it. How do I even begin to convey to you what it feels like to know that within my lifetime the destruction that we have already seen from the climate crisis will only get worse? What adds insult to injury is the fact that we keep getting promised what isn't there. On college applications, I keep getting asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Everyone who will walk up to me after this testimony telling me I have such a bright future ahead of me will be lying to my face. She really, genuinely believes these things. Buddy of mine just texted me. <laughs> you imagine if she grew up with the fear of nuclear annihilation because of the Soviets. She, she though, really believes this about the climate. Okay, I, I want to play one more soundbite from this. This is, this is Jamie Margolin testifying before Congress. I want lawmakers to leave with the message that the climate action, climate action is the only practical and sensible way of going about anything. When I was at the hearing, there were so many politicians who were saying, we need to be sensible, we can't be too crazy or radical, but the only sensible thing is to take action on the climate crisis. There is no, you know, all these politicians were talking about the economy, there is no economy, there is no um, functioning society with on a planet that is in ecological collapse without clean air clean water a stable climate and a livable environment you cannot have a functioning economy i, I i'm just gonna i, I want to stop there i want to stop there i want you to think about what this girl is essentially saying some are going to applaud her because she's telling painful truths to the grown-ups but is it really a truth? I mean, notice what the left is doing, by the way. They're, they're starting to use kids, children, and they believe that the, the, the kids will be shields and you can't criticize the kids. But when you listen to the kids and the adults around them, uh, they really believe with passion, with, by faith. They believe time's running out. Uh, this girl thinks 18 months. We've had 18 months to do something. They also believe the democratic process is failing. They believe the government's failing. The democratic process is failing. They believe the courts are failing. They believe this by faith. They don't believe it by science. It is the faith of a zealot. Science doesn't say we're all going to die. Science doesn't say the world is coming to an end, and, and yet they believe it by faith. They believe the world is collapsing. In Great Britain, in fact, uh, you had the police just rounded up and arrested a bunch of people who intended to fly drones over major airports there, particularly Heathrow, to shut down air traffic to stop people from flying, deciding that flying was bad for the environment. 
on the continent of Europe, they're they're travel shaming people. If you're a frequent flyer in Europe, that is a black badge of shame. I, I y'all, I am like four thousand miles from diamond status on Delta. I can't wait. I will wear the black badge of shame with pride for being a diamond member on Delta, and yet these people think I am sinning for flying. The problem is these people are getting massive media coverage. You know, when people get massive media coverage, they continue to perpetuate what is giving them massive media coverage. Well, what happens when talking runs out? I mean, they got to take action at some point. And if they think democracy has failed them, they think the courts have failed them, they think the government has failed them, what are they going to do? I mean, we've already got eco-terrorists in the Northwest. Remember a while back you had the people that they let all the ferrets out of, of someplace or whatnot, uh, the weasels and, and the minks, and the minks destroyed chickens and wound up eating themselves, and, and it was a mess. The eco-terrorists did it, eco-terrorists, they've planted car bombs and killed people they think are bad for the environment. We, this doesn't get a lot of coverage in the press, uh, but you start reading about the eco-terrorists in the Northwest, it's an ongoing thing. The Earth Liberation Front, I think they call themselves, something like that, ELF. It's not a made-up promise. You've got eco-terrorists in the Northwest who are violent. And when the zealots become convinced of their own righteousness, they're going to get worse. I mean, these people are convinced. What happens when they decide the democracy fails, the courts have failed, the government's failed, corporations have failed? So they need to act and they decide, as zealots always do, that it is in your and my best interest that they take radical action. Even if we don't want them to, they console themselves by saying, it's okay, it's in everybody's best interest. They'll thank me when we do this. What are they going to do? I mean, you have a 17-year-old testify before Congress that her life is at an end if they don't do something. And not just her life, the life of everyone she loves is at an end if they don't do something. And what happens when Congress doesn't act? Because the default is for Congress not to act. This doesn't end well for people. You know, the difference between true faith and this environmental nonsense is that in true faith, your salvation does not depend on someone else. And in environmentalism, the saved cannot obtain salvation as long as the polluters are still around. The saved cannot be saved as long as the sinners still sin. So what do you do with the sinners if the sinners aren't going to stop? Well, I can tell you what happens. Typically, it ends badly for those people the environmentalists go after. This doesn't end well for very many people, including the environmentalists. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. AJ in Brookhaven. Going to you next. Welcome. Uh, all right. So here's the question. Uh, I'm going to start here. You have a belief in God and the infallacy of Scripture. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So do I. So we're off to a good start. Take that all away, and let's just talk about the flood. We talk about the flood we've got a global phenomenon that most believers believe in wholeheartedly. Yep. Unfortunately, science has not really studied the flood to its extent and what would have happened and, and what that plays out to be. This is the point I have to tell you, you got to hurry because we only have about a minute and a half. Okay. okay. So point is, if you play out or if you look at uh, how the flood works and the earth would have cooled, there would have been ice caps, would have been an ice age. Now, fast forward several thousand years later, we are where we are. The earth is warming. 
there's no no question in my mind that the earth is warming and it isn't at a rapid rate because of uh, humans it's at a rapid rate because of the fall of man because of the flood and because of the natural recourse that would happen well, you know, it's funny you should say that, AJ. I'm actually, I'm, I, I preached on this a while back, not on, on climate change per se, but you know, the, the most fascinating thing about the, the, the Noahic account in Genesis is that if you follow Genesis 1 on how the uh, the universe, the, the how God created everything, and then the waters were parted between the heavens and the earth, and then the waters were formed into the oceans, and the water was uh, made then under the earth and contained within the earth and the springs of the earth. When you read Genesis 6, to, to give you an idea when Moses writes this of just how bad sin affected the planet the Genesis 1 account of how the waters of the heavens and the earth were stored is exactly in reverse. First, the water comes up out of the ground, then the oceans overflow, then the water from above comes down, exactly in the opposite order, showing the magnitude of man's sin. Um, and you know, he, he, God makes very clear one of the reasons he wipes out the animals and the plants, save for the fish, is because man's sin polluted everything, the soil, the plants, the, the fish, the animal, you, you name it. Couldn't kill off the fish, though, and he didn't kill off Noah, uh, who was still a sinner, committed sin after he got off the boat. But it shows you just how bad man's sin is. Now, I got to tell you, there, there are a lot of people who see all of this climate change and whatnot, and they see the apocalypse coming and say it's biblical. I don't know about that, but I do know we're supposed to be stewards of the earth, so we're supposed to be good to the earth anyway. Now, when we come back... Let's shift gears a little bit because I got to give a speech in an hour and y'all are going to hit me with it. I'll explain when we come back. Hello and welcome. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to go out of the box here. In an hour, an hour from now, uh, I have to give a speech to the Salvation Army, uh, for the Salvation Army, I guess I should say. It's a fundraising dinner. They asked me to speak at a local Salvation Army. I'm very happy to do it. And I haven't really had time to work on a speech. I'm a radio show. I'm a professional. I can do it off the top of my head. I, I got some notes. I'm going to string them together, and I'm going to give you a, an abridged preview of the speech. I don't have time for those full speech, but I'm, I'm going to give you the abridged version of it so that I can it can help me think because I got an hour. So here we go. There are 783,000 words in the King James Version of the Bible. The New American Standard Version has over 800,000. The New International Version has the smallest number at 727,000. In the Protestant Bible, there are 66 books. Five of those books consist of single chapters, Obadiah, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. There are 929 chapters in the 39 books of the Old Testament, 260 chapters in the 27 books of the New Testament. The New Testament has 21 letters, four Gospels, the Acts, and the Revelations of John. The Catholics have more books than the Protestants. They've got 73 books. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church has 81 books in their Bible. The longest verse in anyone's Bible is Ezra or Esther 8-9. It's 89 words in the English Standard Version. The shortest uh, passage in anybody's Bible in English is John 11:35. Jesus wept. 
Regardless of which Bible you have, whether you have the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible at 81 books, the Catholic at 73 books, the Protestant at 66 books, or you're Jewish and you just have the Old Testament, every single person has the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the book by the prophet Jeremiah. There's no doubt that this man existed. We know historically and archaeologically that Jeremiah existed. Uh, We know that his book made it into the Babylonian exile. We know Daniel read part of his book. Uh, We know Jeremiah, unlike Isaiah, who was sawed in half, uh, Jeremiah lived. He was allowed into Egypt and treated with respect there after the exile. We are during the exile. We know the people of the exile heard the words of Jeremiah 29.7. And the people in exile then took those words to heart. And those of us who are of faith, particularly of the Judeo-Christian faith, now we view ourselves as passing in an exile on our way home, a continued exodus, if you will. And we should take those words to heart as well. And of the 783,137 words in the Bible, I want to focus on these 30. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We don't do that as a people, and it's something on my radio show I talk a lot about. It is something I give speeches about, and it's something we should probably focus on more than we do. Uh, The word city in this passage, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. The word city does not mean kingdom, it doesn't mean empire, it doesn't mean region. It means at most province within an empire or or a country, so a a state perhaps or a county. But specifically, the word city, uh, the original, actually does mean city. The, The small geographic area of ordered instances of homes and citizens. And so many of us don't do that anymore. We want to seek the welfare of our nation, not our city. The way the founders of the country structured the country, they understood that we were to seek the welfare of the cities in which we lived. And by seeking the welfare of the cities in which we lived, we would find our welfare. And that would then translate into results and elections and and patterns of public policy at the county level, which would translate into patterns of public policy at the state level, which would translate into the grand ideal of federalism, where we would all go to Washington, D.C. with some level of shared value and appreciation that people are different in different parts of the country, and we could structure our lives. And now we've all gotten away from that. And it's kind of messed things up. And perhaps we should get back to it. You see, the daily fact of the matter is that Washington, D.C. really doesn't affect our lives as much as people like to think Washington affects our lives. Sure, you pay your taxes. Sure, you do. Sure, there could be a war and you may see your son or daughter go off to war. Sure, there are financial circumstances that Washington affects us, but in your day-to-day life, when you were driving today, when you're in your car, when you're stuck in traffic, is Washington really affecting your life? When you pick your child up from school, is Washington really affecting your life, or is it your local school board? When you stop at the stoplight and you look over and there's a homeless person with a uh, shopping basket from Kroger, And they're there with their worldly possessions piled in a shopping cart and they're sitting there and they're staring off in the distance. Who's affecting that person, you or Washington? How can you affect that person? 
through involvement in a local nonprofit, through involvement in your local government, or through your involvement in politics in Washington, D.C.? How do you seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile? Because you are in exile, whether you know it or not, you are in exile. And it's an exile that God wants you to be in, in a location he has chosen for you. You may think, ah, I have decided to live in this place, or I live here because I was born here. All things work for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And he designs all things. You certainly have the will, the volition to be able to move and be here. But don't think it's not some part of God's design. You're here. What are you going to do about the homeless guy who you're looking at? What are you going to do about the poor family whose home burned down next to yours? Seek the welfare of the city in which you are in exile, for there you will find your welfare. It is something we way too often in this day and age forget about, and it's something we probably ought to get back to. Thinking about instead of Washington and screaming about Washington, it's one reason I like to focus on local politics in my show, to remind people that there is a great big vast world out there, and there are parts of it you can be responsible for, and those parts that you can be responsible for are the ones in your backyard, your side yard, your front yard, and passing you out the window when you drive down the street. Seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile. There you will find your welfare. And unless your city is named Washington, D.C., and in therein you reside, then he's talking about Atlanta or Macon or Savannah or McDonough or Johns Creek or Alpharetta or Woodstock or Noonan or wherever you're listening to me right now. Just a final thought. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. If you're just tuning in, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going through the speech I'm giving now in about 30 minutes. Uh, i got to drive over to the Salvation Army and, and give a speech. I'm actually in the home bunker tonight. It's a, the Middle Georgia Salvation Army chapter. And the focus is on seeking the welfare of the city in which you're in exile. And it really does mean city. And I don't know that we do it enough. And it's one reason I like this show and my other show, uh, devoting time to Georgia politics and Georgia news, not just politics. There's so much that happens in our local community. And I'm always amazed how it doesn't matter whether you're a conservative or you're a progressive. These days, so many people think they can outsource the problems of their local community to the federal government. And you cannot. And in December... There are going to be buckets out with bell ringers in many locations from the Salvation Army who will be asking you to help. There will be Clark Howard raising money and, and toys for children who are in foster care who otherwise won't have a Christmas present. And the choice will be yours. Do you decide, well, I'm just going to send my money to Washington and let Uncle Sam do something? Or are you going to help in your local community? It's your choice. I, I can't persuade you to help in your local community, but I certainly hope you might take the commandment of God himself into consideration to seek the welfare of the local community where he has put you because you will find your welfare there. Now, I got 30 minutes to actually add to that about 15 minutes. You guys have a good night. I'll see you all tomorrow.